So uh, this evening I'd like to talk about seeing clearly and acting wisely. So we've uh, spent the day sitting and walking and paying attention, doing our best to be mindful, to be present, uh, to be here and now. And it's good always to bring to mind, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this activity that sometimes can seem a little bit strange, often is quite difficult, uh, might be quite tough, quite challenging. So why do we engage in this activity? And it seems to me that if we think about it as the attempt to create a nice, peaceful, quiet state of mind that might last for 15 minutes, if we're lucky, on Saturday afternoon or maybe we'll get it on Sunday morning and this nice state of mind will disappear as soon as we leave Gaia House well that would be rather limited rather a shame really Um, as if our happiness or well-being or peace would be so fleeting and require so much hard work So it seems to me what we're really doing here is attempting to understand, attempting to see clearly into our lives, to see how our minds work, how we get caught up in patterns of clinging and suffering and being dissatisfied with the way things are and how we can find a freedom, how we can let go of those patterns that keep us entrapped and imprisoned. A sense of seeing clearly, in a way, this is what insight meditation is all about. Vipassana meditation, about seeing the way things are. And seeing clearly is the foundation for living a wise and compassionate life. And it's this connection that I want to explore this evening. A very uh, ancient and famous image about the connection between how we see things and how we respond and react is uh, to do with the example of going into a room and seeing a snake. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I think that I'd be pretty frightened if I walk into a room and see this cold snake in the corner. My heart would beat fast and I'd think, oh my goodness, what am I supposed to do? Is it a poisonous one? Is it... Uh, you know, one that's not poisonous, not going to bite me, and my heart would be beating, wonder what's going to happen, and all those things I haven't done in life and wanted to do, and my family going to miss me if this snake bites me, and things like that. And then, perhaps I move a little closer, I have the courage to move closer, or the light changes, and suddenly I see that the snake is in fact a coiled piece of rope. And what happens in that moment? What a relief. All the fear, agitation, worry, discontent, the suffering disappears. Because it's been silly, it's been clearly seen. How much of our life is like that, really? Being frightened of things that if we understood them, 
would have no threat to us at all. And that just came to me actually a few moments ago because I'm doing something now which is, for many of us, a frightening thing, speaking in public. And it seems to me speaking in public is a little bit like a, the rope disguised as a snake. Because here we are and we feel, you know, everybody's looking at me and I want to be exposed and things like that. And it, it's apparently one of the biggest fears that we have, speaking in public. And looking into it, then what's really to be frightened of? You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'm probably talking to myself now, so I'm putting myself at ease, but I might knock over the water and, oh, that would be a bit embarrassing, or my hand might slip and hit that, or I might forget what I'm going to say, but at the end of the day, that would be all right. It would be okay. But so often we can feel as if something might happen that's so bad, so disastrous, and creating a sense of fear and agitation over things that, when we understand them, we can be at peace with. Now the very famous image, traditional image connected with this, is the nature of anger. And it's said that if you see the effect of that anger is having on you, you'd see that holding on to anger is like holding a burning piece of coal. And which one of us would do that? Hold on so tightly to something that is damaging us. That I mean, sorry to be graphic, but you could almost imagine like the smell of the skin and just the horrible uh, burning nature of clinging to a bit of coal. And it's said that if we understand the nature of holding on to anger and ill will and resentment, if we really saw what it was like, what we were doing, we put it down. Just as we dropped that coal, instantly, immediately, seeing the damage, the harm and the pain it causes. So it's just an interesting question to explore. How much of the time are we frightened of coil bits of rope? How much of the time are we clinging to burning pieces of coal? Another example of how our um, perceptions or how we see things can very much change our responses is to do with a, a person who was getting on our nerves. And for many of us, well, probably all of us, it's not difficult to think of somebody who irritates us from time to time, somebody we find annoying, someone we find difficult. And imagine that this uh, scenario had been going on for a few weeks, say, and you'd seen this person at work and they were um, continually getting on your nerves. And then you discovered something about them that you didn't know before. Perhaps something about their family, some difficulties they were facing, or perhaps that they were sick. And perhaps even that the behavior you found irritating might even be a symptom of that sickness. And again, how quickly, with that shift of perception, our attitude and our way of behaving would change from perhaps seeking to avoid or condemn or wishing they'd go away, to feeling a sense of compassion for them.
More images, really. Again, one that may be very familiar to you, but we talk about people who see the world through rose-coloured spectacles. Don't you? You know, if you have rose-coloured spectacles, everything looks rosy, and that's obviously seen as a nice, optimistic way of looking at the world. But at other times, it may seem as if our spectacles are grey, or dark grey, or obscured. Or, um, and of course, the image there is whatever we're seeing reflects simply our way of perceiving more than what's actually there. So if I come into this room with the green-coloured spectacles on, everything appears green. There's a veil between me and reality, if you like. And we can see that clearly with that visual metaphor, but what does that mean in terms of our emotional or spiritual life? What would be the veil that would prevent us seeing things as they really are. And uh, as Caroline was talking last night, the traditional description of these veils would be greed, hatred and delusion. So if you... One example of a a state of mind that's a kind of craving associated with greed, that kind of way of looking at things, could be when we have completely infatuated with someone. Again, I don't know if you've had this experience, and many of us have, and you cannot stop thinking about that person. The only thing in life that's going to make things all right is to be with that person. They are the source of meaning, of value, of truth, of everything good in the world. And this, of course, can be even more painful um, if they don't feel the same way, which uh, some of us have experienced too. Um, but imagine if you, you come into a room and your mind is shaped by that infatuation for somebody who's not there. In a way, I think it's almost true to say all you can see is the absence of that person. The room is filled with their absence. And how difficult it is to engage with what actually is there, what is present. Because the mind is so preoccupied with what's missing. Or again, if we're so full of anger or ill will towards a person, our image of them, our construction of them, is simply their bad qualities. It's very, very difficult to maintain a balanced view, to see them as a person like us who's doing their best, who has good days, bad days, ups and downs, good moods, bad moods. And in our mind, it's as if they are just intrinsically bad all the way to the core. And it's a very interesting and fruitful reflection to continually bring to mind again and again and again, in what way is my perception being shaped? And perhaps in particular, in what way is my perception being shaped by the question, what's in it for me? I'm looking for something that's going to give me something, some happiness, peace, joy, excitement. 
Or I'm looking to get rid of something that I perceive as being in the way of that. Or the particular thing seems to have neither of those qualities, so I just ignore it. And if you think of the uh, metta meditation that Caroline introduced this afternoon, that shows exactly the way we can divide the world or people into those categories. Those we like, those we don't like, those we're not really too bothered about either way. It's shaped by what's in it for me, what's getting in my way. So if we feel there is this connection between how we see things and how we act, between seeing clearly and acting wisely, then of course it's really important to continually reflect, am I seeing clearly? How can I clarify my perception? What is a wise way to see the world? And in the Buddha's teaching, one of the teachings on this is the teaching of right view or wise view. And this comes with various elements, there are various aspects of this. And the first is the teaching on uh, karma. And the wise view here is seeing the relationship between our actions and their fruits, between what we do and the results. And karma can sometimes be seen as something which is somewhat speculative. So we may think it's exclusively to do with uh, future lives, which we may or may not have a sense of or may or may not believe in. But I think we can also very much see it as a teaching about what we can notice here and now, what we can see in this life, what we can see in this moment. And if we really pay careful attention and we notice what's it like when we speak or act with greed or hatred, what's it like? What does it feel like to act like that? And I, I don't know if uh, you can relate to this, but sometimes I feel that some of those actions are a little bit like a kind of junk food, you know? You know like if you feel like eating some uh, food that's not, that kind of seems really attractive, but it's not really that nourishing for you. And some of those activities or ways of behaving that we may get drawn towards, like, say, gossiping about another person or um, you know, taking something that belongs to another person, there might be like a little bit of kind of sort of fleeting, some kind of pleasure in there, but it's not wholesome. It doesn't really nourish us, nourish us deep down. And when we're sensitive, we can notice that and feel that. It's just this question of being um, aware and sensitive and responsive to the effects of our actions of body, speech and mind. And the teaching on karma really reminds us of this connection between virtue, between acting well, between acting morally and being happy. And I think for me this is a fundamental aspect of wise view that it really is not possible to lead a deeply happy, peaceful and content life 
if we're acting in ways that damage others. This is what the wise understanding is showing. The link between how we're behaving and our own state of mind. I'll just give a, a couple of examples of that. So one of the virtues or perfections or paramis to different words is patience and patience and patience obviously benefits other people a great deal because if we're patient we are not quick to anger or to blame or to criticize if we're patient we're able to bear with the difficult in life but patience too of course is very much for our own well-being our own benefit Capacity to bear with what's hard to bear. There are two strategies really, aren't there? There's the strategy to say, right, I'm going to organise my life so nothing bad ever happens. No pain, no loss, no blame, no discomfort. No criticism, no sickness. Nobody I love is ever going to die or go away. So I can try that one. <laughs> or I can say, well, these things are a part of existence. Even the Buddha was blamed and criticized. And how can we really avoid losing people that we love without giving up loving people, without giving up a sense of connection? And that's a pretty grey and dull and limited life. So how can we bear with what is difficult? And to develop the capacity to do that really gives us this sense of confidence, a sense of peace, a sense of happiness which is beyond conditions. I was just uh, remembering actually uh, quite recent um, recent for me actually my uh, stepmother died I think uh, about two years ago and that's the time when I really appreciated practice really really appreciated practice and you get a sense and a feel of what this is like and and I was fortunate enough actually to be able to uh, sit with her body um, after she died and really feeling this sadness, deep sadness that she'd gone but there was also a peace there it's okay, it can be, it can, you can bear this this too can be accepted and faced and a sense of love that can, um, can transcend loss and death and disappointment. A great confidence to, to be able to tap into that. And then one of those uh, coils of rope masquerading as a snake is seen through.
They're still exploring this sense of the relationship between acting well, acting virtuously and being happy. A sense of patience, bearing with what's difficult. And courage too. You think about courage, a very powerful and important quality in terms of how we relate to others. And really again this is about how do we respond to fear? What is it to be fearless? And personally, my interpretation of that wouldn't be that fear never arises or we can um, live a life where we can eradicate fear. But how do we respond to that? How do we live within a world in which those feelings can arise powerfully? And the capacity to face fear and to work with fear again is so helpful for our happiness and well-being. We need to have courage. You needed to have courage to come on this retreat. And I always salute and appreciate the courage of people to come on retreat, to come to an unfamiliar, difficult situation, or potentially difficult situation. You need courage to go to a job interview, don't you? You need courage to ask somebody out on a date. All of these things in life that we do, you know, a sense of facing fear, really intrinsic to our happiness and well-being. So these qualities, these inner qualities, these... Um, you could call them moral qualities or virtues, really also support our happiness and well-being. And this sense of a cultivation of these characteristics as the key to a happy, peaceful life, as opposed to the acquisition of lots of material things uh, or experiences in their own right, being able to deliver that. This is wise view. Wise view. Another aspect of seeing clearly is about where we see uh, suffering and the end of suffering. So as I've been um, alluding to this evening already really, that life does present us with so many difficulties at times of being faced with what we don't want and being unable to get what we do want, of having a body that gets sick and gets old, a body that dies, basic Difficulties woven into the fabric of human existence. And as we've been exploring on this uh, retreat, the sense of what extra difficulty, what extra problem, what extra sense of dissatisfaction do we create on top of that? And wise view involves really seeing clearly that sense of thirst, craving, an unquenchable wish for things to be different as the root of a kind of unsatisfactoriness we can feel. And there's a radical turning around of view here, and the strongest, uh, the stronger we have this, I think, the more freedom we have. What's this radical shift? Well, a habitual way of seeing things is that everything will be all right when. And when I say habitual... And my personal view is this goes very, very, very deep. It's quite a really deep habit. And we have to see through it again and again and again and again. But everything will be all right when I get a better job or a different partner or more money or my back stops hurting or I move to a different country 
or Gordon Brown resigns, or whatever it is. Um, and the habit of saying happiness and well-being lies somewhere else, some other time, and requires some shift in conditions is so strong for us. So strong. And the wise view is almost like just turning the whole thing around. And just uh, remembered actually from my study of science, I think it was the, called the Coper- Copernican Revolution. You know, it's like suddenly shift, you know. Um, the earth revolves around the sun rather than the, the other way around. That was what that was about. But a shift, a radical shift from thinking that this sense of it'll all be all right when is true and accurate and therefore I need to act from that to seeing that that way of constructing the problem is the very problem itself. So the root of suffering or the origin of suffering isn't the absence of all of these things or the presence of something we don't want. It's the state of mind, the pattern of mind that creates reality to appear that way. It's an illusion. And wise view also teaches us that there's a way out. If that is created, if that's conditioned, if that's constructed by our minds, that sense of things not being quite as they should be, then it can also cease. And can be peace and freedom as we let go of that way of seeing things. Wise understanding or seeing clearly will also include um, an understanding of change, of, of impermanence. Perennial theme on retreats. And again, it's something that we need to see again and again and again and again. Have any of us felt exactly the same for the whole of this time on retreat? Or have our feelings been shifting? Has our body felt exactly the same? Or has it been shifting and changing? Have our thoughts felt exactly the same? Or have they been fluid as well? And in meditation, the more clearly we can see this, the shifting, changing, ephemeral nature of things, again, there's tremendous freedom in that. And the point of this is not to be a depressing teaching at all. There's nothing depressing really about impermanence. Because seeing impermanence liberates us from trying to build a sense of stability around something that can never deliver that. We build our house on sand, it'll collapse. We look at a sandcastle as the tide comes in and says, fantastic, this is my well-being, this is what's going to do it for me, this sandcastle. And the tide's coming in all the time. 
And this would be sad. I tell you, this would be a very, very sad story if the happiness did depend on the sandcastle. But the liberating news is that it doesn't. There's a, a resigned view, a kind of rather um, grey view or depressed view that would say happiness does depend on things going my way and working out, but of course they're all impermanent and none of them will. That's uh, a view that we, we can certainly have sometimes, but that, there's a lot of suffering in that. Because that way of looking at the world actually makes happiness impossible. But wise view is seeing that the peace and Tranquility, the well-being we seek, does not depend upon things staying the same. We can be at ease with the changing nature of reality. Make peace with it. So related to seeing the impermanence of things is seeing their unsatisfactoriness. And this doesn't mean that they're bad or to be dismissed or pushed away, but simply that they can never deliver the ultimate well-being that we might project upon them. And uh, one of the things that this sometimes makes me think of is is Christmas time, and certainly the Christmases that I had as a a boy. And... um, just how much what we could call projected promise I would put into my Christmas presents, you know. It's going to be so fantastic when I get these things. Whether it was a computer or I think it was a Scalectrix one year or all sorts of other things. And But the the view was it's just going to be incredible. Life without this thing is dull and boring. Life with this thing is going to be so amazing. This is not seeing the unsatisfactoriness of those things. And I I've, uh, often speak about this sense of even I, even I think having a feeling as a boy that I was guaranteed to die before Christmas Day. Because the happiness that Christmas Day and the Scalectrics would deliver would be so unbelievable, so mind-blowing that it couldn't almost possibly be there. So I was bound to die before I could have this amazing happiness that the presence would bring. And then, of course, you know, there can be Christmas Day afternoon and Boxing Day and the disappointment starts to kick in. And again, that could sound really depressing, but I I really don't mean it to be like that. Because as we learn and as we see to do that, we don't give so much projected promise and things working out in in, uh, a particular way. And as we're not doing that, of course, the disappointment, loss that goes with it is also released. And wise view seeing clearly also can include a sense of understanding what is called not self, not self. And there's so many elements and so many aspects of the teaching on not-self. But we can see, uh, certainly on one level, as we sit here and meditate, these thoughts 
come and go, don't they? We don't necessarily sit down and think, I'm going to choose for these particular thoughts to arise. They're not completely in our control. They come and they go. So in what sense are they really mine? In what sense do they really belong to me? Or I'm sitting in meditation, there might be a strong feeling of anger arising. But there's that which observes the anger, that which can reflect on it, that which can see it. So if it's being seen, again, can that really define my true identity? Can that be who I really am deep down? And is it always there? Well, it comes and it goes, it shifts and changes. And again, a true identity would be something lasting. So we begin not to identify with these changing phenomena, coming, going, thoughts, feelings, emotions. And there's a lot of freedom in that. If you sit sitting here, anger is arising. You can identify with it. What does that do? I'm an angry person. There might be another story. I'll always be an angry person. I'm an angry person because that happened to me in the past. This is how I am. This is who I am. I am Mr. Angry or Mrs. Angry. I've been born in that state as an angry person. If you like a kind of mental birth happening. But there's no need to do that. We can feel it as a pattern. It's a pattern moving through the body, a pattern moving through the mind. can experience it. What's it like? Get interested in it. We can reflect upon the stories it's telling us rather than believing in those stories. The point I made at the beginning with the the coloured spectacles, anger would give the world a particular colour, doesn't it? When you're angry, it's like pushing things away. Nothing's quite right. Food's not quite right. Or that shouldn't be there. Or why are they doing that? You can colour everything. So by bringing awareness, bringing mindfulness to it, there's that freedom from believing in what the anger is telling you. Believing, freedom from identifying, making a self out of that sense of anger. So we've been exploring this connection between how we see, how we see the world, how we understand things, and how we act. So what are these kind of uh, ways of seeing, the wise understanding I've been talking about, how does that translate into action? The first way we could see it translates into action is a sense of letting go, a sense of renunciation, a sense of being more simple. So if we start to see that the things that we might crave or go after or wish to gain don't have a permanent ability to satisfy us, we can let them go. We can live in a different way, live more simply, be more content with little. And this isn't at all advocating a sense of 
Puritanism of saying it's bad to have things or that you shouldn't have pleasures or anything like that. It's not saying that at all. Because that kind of view would be saying that these kind of things would give you a lot of pleasure and happiness, but you shouldn't have them because they're bad. Well, again, that's a rather miserable way of uh, looking at the world. A sense of letting go, a sense of renunciation that follows from the wise understanding is really seeing that these things don't serve us to hold on, to cling in that way. And then we put them down quite peacefully, without struggle. The wise understanding, I think, also makes us see others in a different way. So we're talking about the way that we can sometimes see others in terms of have you got something I want, have you got something, are you getting in the way of something I want, or are you kind of neither? And the meta-meditation that we were exploring is really about allowing those views to, to fade away, a sense of loving-kindness to all, to all people, to all beings. Radical shift of perception from I'm seeing you in terms of have you got something for me or you're getting in my way to seeing you are a person who was born. You're a person who will die. You're a person who wants to be happy. You're a person who doesn't want to be suffer, doesn't want to suffer. You're a person who sometimes gets things they don't want. Very, very basic facts of what it is to be a human being. So the perception is much more we're all in the same boat. We all share this experience of being a human being. And then what's the feeling from that? The feeling is loving kindness, of compassion, of connection, of solidarity, of fellowship. And relating to others with respect rather than an attempt to manipulate to get what I want or get rid of what I don't want. And just finally, I'd like to talk briefly about the importance of calmness and slowing down and stilling the mind. Because the question arises, if we feel that seeing clearly is the root of acting wisely, if we understand things um, with a wise heart, then we act in a compassionate way. If we see that, the question is, how do we cultivate this sense of seeing clearly? And to do that, to allow the mind to be more calm, to be more still, is a very, very useful way of doing that. And just some um, images I've got to sort of explain that a little bit, really. I mean, imagine if you're watching a, a DVD and you put it on times 32. I don't know if your DVD player can do that, but it goes really fast can't possibly understand what's happening. You won't follow the film. Can you slow it down? And then you can see what's happening much more clearly when things are slower. Or imagine if you are watching a magician and a magician just produces flowers just from nowhere and you think, wow, that's amazing. 
and see how that's done. But imagine if you could record that and watch it in slow motion and you actually see the trick or you saw it from the, the side and you could see exactly how it was done. You could start to see through the illusions being created. And slowing down, the calm allows us to see the way that these different worlds can be constructed, the world of the angry mind or the world of the craving mind. We can start to see how it's built. And uh, Another image, I don't know if it reveals something about me personally or whether you, you do it too, but I don't know if you had the experience of looking for your keys or looking for your wallet or something like that before you're going out. And you start rushing around the house and you have a quick look in the bedroom, it's not in the bedroom. And you look downstairs in the living room and it's not down there. And you look in the other room and then go back to the bedroom and then you go somewhere else. And The very speed of the looking means you just can't see it. And when I've done that sometimes, I just take the time, okay, just stop, just stop looking for a little bit. Just be still, be calm. And then you can actually uh, notice what you can't see when you move so fast. So this aspect of the path is also really important to calm, to collect the mind. And then we can begin to see clearly, see the way that suffering is created. See the potential for release and freedom from that. And see the way this can help us lead lead a more wise and compassionate life. So we'll just uh, sit quietly just for a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.